church. I am so glad to see you this morning. I hope you got here smoothly. I just want to welcome you to Faith Church. If this is your first time or 2,000th time, we are glad that you are here. I'm excited to worship the Lord with you, to, to bring to him what he uh, is due, but also to receive the out of the abundance of his love for us this morning. Uh, my name is Lauren, for those that don't know me. And just a couple of housekeeping things. I want to let you know that the um, restrooms downstairs are open. For those that don't know, we've been under construction after a bit of flooding. Um, I'm excited to let you know the carpet is in as of yesterday, but there's still some final touches. So um, starting next week, Faith Kids and Nursery will be back downstairs in the kids' wing, so we are excited about that. Next week, Kids Wing will be back open, but right now the restrooms are open. So if you need to use the restroom, just go out the back door and downstairs. If you have um, uh, anything physical limiting your use of stairs, we do have restrooms through this door as well. But we ask that if you can, you use the ones out the back and down the stairs. But yes, next week, Kids Church, back downstairs. Um, also next week, I'm excited for our Thanksgiving lunch, our all-church Thanksgiving lunch. It's just a time for us to reflect as a family, uh, as the body of Christ, to reflect on what God has done throughout the year, both in and through Faith Church. So you are invited. Uh, we would love to have you there. The church will be providing turkey and ham and beverages and rolls. We just ask that you bring a side to share. Um, there are some cards on the back connect wall if you'd like uh, to know what we still need as far as sides to bring. So you can check that out after service. All you have to do is grab that card and take it home with you. You don't have to turn anything in. It's just I'm gonna, if you take a card, it means I'm bringing mashed potatoes or I'm bringing salad or I'm bringing dessert. All right. Also, in your bulletin that hopefully you grabbed when you came in, um, we have some details on Operation Christmas Child. Thank you for those of you who have already brought in your boxes. We appreciate that. We've been filling um, shoe boxes to send to children around the world so that they would know the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, and be blessed with just some fun things at Christmas to know that someone um, on the other side of the world is thinking of them. And so we've been uh, collecting those shoe boxes, but we also have the opportunity to actually participate in sorting those boxes, packaging those boxes, and sending those boxes off. Um, when we take a group, several groups, from Faith Church to the processing center, Samaritan's Purse Processing Center for Operation Christmas Child, um, to the processing center to make those get all the way around the globe. And it's really fun. And we've got several groups going. So like I said, in your bulletin, if you want to sign up to go with one of those groups, Groups, you can do that. Just scan the uh, particular QR code. We've got a, a youth group going. We've got a men's group going. We've got an open to anybody group going. So you'll see that in your bulletin. We just ask that you sign up so we can make sure we've got a ride for you there. Lastly, today, um, you've been hearing us talk about the School of Kingdom Ministry. This is a discipleship initiative that we are really excited about coming in January 2024. Faith Church is actually going to be a hosting campus for the School of Kingdom Ministry. This is an opportunity for us to engage in um, study and practice of what it looks like to be a conduit of the kingdom and live naturally supernatural lives in our everyday life not just at church on Sundays, not just um, in special, you know, hidden places, but actually be the light to the world. If your desire is to grow and be equipped to do that, 
in school, at work, in the grocery store. We would love to give you more details about um, participating in the School of Kingdom Ministry. And we've got an informational meeting with all of those details today, 15 minutes after church. My encouragement to you is that as you've been hearing us talk about that for the last few weeks, that if there is any piece of you that's even like curious, like what is that? What does that look like? Just come to the meeting. You're not signing up. You're just coming for more details and to get a better understanding of what it's all about. So that is today, 15 minutes after church. All right. So this morning, I want to share with you a <laughs> just the, this is the way that God works. I just love. I want to I wanna tell you what he did um, this morning and yesterday. So yesterday, um, my son, I was having a play date with a new friend in his class. And this um, boy was coming over. His family was going to drop him off so that they could play in the afternoon. I've not spent much time with this family or this mom, but I knew she was coming over to our house. So obviously, you know, you want to make a good impression and make sure that parent feels safe with their child with you and, and all of that. And I get a, a call from a friend saying, I'm in intense pain. Can I come over for prayer? And I'm like, yeah, what time? And they're like, 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, and exactly 10 minutes is when that friend is supposed to get here. So I'm like, okay, it's cool. I can't turn down prayer, but also, Lord, how is this going to work? And, um, and, you know, the family pulls up, the, the boy gets out, uh, him and Roman are playing soccer um, in our front yard. I'm chatting with the mom, just getting everything good to go. And right then, my friend pulls up, um, parks at our house, and gets out of the car like this. And I'm like, what is this mom thinking? And I'm like, oh, that's just my friend. He, they're here for prayer. Um, I'm going to pray uh, in a little bit. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I invite my friend into our home and just say, head on into the living room. And I'm chatting with the mom in the driveway for a minute. And, and she goes, uh, are they okay? And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're just here for prayer. Um, this is just something we do. And she's like, okay. So they leave. Mom, mom leaves. Mom comes back. And in between that, my friend is in my living room. I pray, and we see the Lord heal them. Came in with intense back pain, left moving, couldn't, couldn't breathe and couldn't move very well, left breathing and moving. Walks out the front door. Hallelujah, right? I forget about that. And the mom comes back to, to pick her son up, and she goes, hey, was your friend okay? And I was like, yeah, actually they left, they left healed. And she was like, really? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that's weird for people. I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, I've seen God do amazing things. Um, and she goes, really, I'd love to hear more. I was like, well, we'll have to have coffee sometime. And I said, it turns out the Bible is real. All of it is real. And she's like, man, if more people knew that. And so, and so I was thinking yesterday as I went to bed, I was thinking like, huh, well, Lord, I wonder if you just, like, timed that, if that was, like, you actually timing all of that. That's interesting. And this is the text I woke up to this morning. Well, I'll paraphrase. The mom texted me this morning and said, thank you so, so much. My son had a great time. I enjoyed our conversation. She said, thank you also for the blessing we witnessed while we were there. The person that came in with so much pain and, and my son being able to see him walk out of your house differently that is awesome. I would love to hear more stories of answered prayer. So I'm sitting there worried 
about what someone else is thinking. And God's going, oh my gosh, Lauren, please just let me do my thing. And he did it. And I just love him for it. And I love that he puts us in the mix of it as a blessing to us and a blessing to the one who is healed and a blessing to those that he wants to pull into his heart. So I just want to share this verse with you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I believe that is his word for us this morning. He wants to give you rest. Don't pick up a burden like I was about to do about worrying about what people were thinking. Don't pick up a burden that's not from the Lord. Let him give you rest. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are just so good. Thank you that you know what you're doing when we don't know what we're doing. Thank you that you know what you're doing when we don't know what you're doing. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, God, you would bring to mind to each one in this room if there is a burden that they have picked up that is not from you. If that's you and he's shown you something, I just invite you to pray this with me. Jesus, I hand that burden to you. I confess that this is not of you. Forgive me for picking up something that was never mine to carry. Thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I receive that now for your glory and my joy. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fill this place with your peace, that you would fill this place with your freedom, God that you would fill this place with an overwhelming and an overflowing joy of who you are and the fact that we can rest in that. God, teach us to rest in your goodness. Teach us to rest in your sufficiency and let us praise you. Let us praise you with a sacrifice of praise in spirit and in truth that you would be glorified in this place and in us in Jesus' name. That was good. Hallelujah. Wow. I think the Lord uh, wants to use what she just said and tell you that today, don't be hindered by those that are around you or what other people are thinking because God's timing is perfect in having you here today. And um, we've already released freedom in this room. So uh, I want you to know there's a big space up here for people who need room to worship. And there may be some of you who need an altar to fall on, so feel free to come on down and worship. Let's just begin to give the Lord thanks. Oh, Jesus, we bless you. Thank you.
looking at people really close together. So let's worship the Lord now in freedom. Why don't you break out into the aisles? Come on, come on. All right, let's just get our praise on. Get things going.
of worship where we can come and join with our brothers and sisters and just engage with you in prayer and worship and enjoy God. Oh, we're so thankful. Grace that flows like a You rescued me. 
Yeah. 
transferred us to the kingdom of, the, of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God, I thank you that we have redemption. I thank you that we have forgiveness. I thank you that we've been transferred from darkness into your glorious light. That Jesus paid the way that Jesus, through his flesh, through his sacrifice, Has, called, has made, given us the opportunity to be called sons and daughters and friends of God. And then, Lord, your word further says that then, after that has happened, you have chosen the church, the gathered people of God, here and throughout the globe. You have chosen the church to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to those powers and authorities in heavenly places. So, Lord, as we sing and as we worship, as we sit under your word, we are proclaiming to all things seen and unseen that we belong to you. That you are our God and we are your people. So, God, thank you for being with us. As we open your word, speak to us. Let the Spirit speak and reckon it into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing for me. If you are a visitor here this morning, this is just something that we do, uh, that some of us here at Faith Church do. Uh, we go, we've been going through 50 weeks in the Word this year at Faith. Each week, uh, people have signed up, we have about 80 people have signed up to read one chapter every day, the same chapter every day. We memorize one verse, and then there's one Bible study about that chapter on Wednesday nights. This week, we had Matthew 13, 17, and this is a time where we take to recite the verse together. So if you're a visitor or you didn't sign up, don't feel like you need to recite the verse along with us because you don't have to. You didn't sign up, okay? Um, but this is the verse. Everybody see it? Did it jog your memory? Those who have uh, gone, uh, memorized it this week? All right, let's say it together. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you've seen and did not see it, and to, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Matthew 9, 13, 17. I kept thinking it was Matthew 9. Matthew 13, 17. You may have a seat. 
I even looked it up on my phone before I came up here. Matthew 13, 13. Just wasn't sticking. We're continuing. We're in our third week in the book of Habakkuk. Um, we're going to be talking uh, through uh, some verses in chapter 2 if you want to change there. We, uh, we've been going through this series we've entitled Wait and See. And uh, we've gone through uh, chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. And now we're going to be uh, in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 to 5 a little bit later in just a few minutes. But I was thinking this week about uh, going to other cultures. Like other cultures have different ways of living than we have of living in the United States. I, I, if you've never traveled, you might not know that. You might think that everybody lives the same way that people in the United States live, and it's just not true. Just one example. Um, I've gone, to, I've gone to Haiti and I've gone to Mexico on mission trips before. And if you go to a mission trip there and you say, okay, we're going to all get up, we're going to have breakfast, and then we're going to leave at 9 o'clock. My Haitian friend who went with it, he, he, he had to tell me beforehand, he said, Charles, it's Haitian time. It's not American time. American time means uh, it's 9 o'clock and we leave at 9 o'clock. Haitian time means people might get there at 9, they might not, and we just kind of leave when everybody gets there. But if you're used to our culture and the way that we live, that's going to make you very, it makes me very uncomfortable. I like to be, I like to be prompt and on time to things, right? And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, it's Haitian time. It was the same thing when I went to Mexico. They call, uh, we were in a town called Porvenir, and he says, it's Porvenir time, so don't think. And so I was thinking, I wonder if they've measured this. I wonder, if, and they've measured everything now. So I typed in like most punctual countries in the world. I'll tell you what I think, I thought was going to be number one. I thought Germany was going to be number one, but it wasn't Germany. It was Sweden. Sweden's like the number one most punctual country. So if somebody from Mexico or Haiti goes to Sweden, they're going to feel very uncomfortable. They're going to show up five minutes late and be like, why did the bus leave without me? The second was Japan, and Germany was up there. If we're on the spectrum of punctuality, right, there's, there was uh, the very punctual and the not very punctual, and this was all African and South American countries, and the United States is like right in here. Not totally, but cultures live different, and people live different. And it's not just punctuality. It's the way that kids are raised. It's the way that uh, government is done. It, Every culture, every group of people has their own way that they live. And we're going to talk about this morning when we talk about righteous living in Habakkuk chapter 2. Because uh, Habakkuk tells us this is the way that we are to live. So uh, just to recap really quick, uh, the book of Habakkuk starts off with some complaints. Habakkuk tells God, and he says, I see iniquity, I see destruction and violence, I see strife and contention. Justice is being perverted everywhere, and wickedness is swallowing up the righteous. And he's rightly angry at the state of what he sees. And we talked about how he's looking at God's people. He's not looking at the world. He's not looking at the other nations around. He's looking at God's people, and he sees all of this. And so judgment begins at the house of God. But because the world has been given to us for the taking, right, we now look at the world, and we can be rightly angry both at what we see in the church and outside of the church at what we see. And then God gives him an answer that he's going to bring judgment against Judah 
from their disobedience. They've been warned the whole time. But what uh, God kind of flips the script on Habakkuk, and he's going to use Babylon, an evil nation, to bring justice. And Habakkuk doesn't understand this. And he says, God, your eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. You are, you are holy. You are the most holy. And he doesn't understand any questions, but ultimately he says, he sees, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm going to sit on my watchtower, and I'm going to watch what you do. Because he's going to watch what he does because God told him, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that is so spectacular and so great that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it for a second. And so now we find ourselves in Habakkuk 2, and I'm going to read verses 2 to 5 for us this morning. And it says, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who never rests. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. And he gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own peoples. And this is the word of the Lord. So uh, he's talking at first, and he's telling Habakkuk, there is still a coming judgment. There is still a coming judgment. And while God is bringing the judgment, he is not keeping the judgment a secret. Outside of a few occasions where there was hidden sin, if you look in the Old Testament, God has always warned his people about the consequences, about the effects of what they do and how they will be judged for it. And they never get it. There's a show that I watch on occasion. Uh, it's called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And there's one episode where uh, the, uh, one of the characters, Gina, she's just been kind of manipulating, trying to do things behind the scenes. And um, the people, everybody catches on and they start uh, to, you know, they're telling her you shouldn't have done this. And she's really sad and she's really crying. But then she says, how was I supposed to know that there was going to be consequences for my actions? <laughs> and that's pretty much how the, the nation of Israel lives throughout the whole Old Testament. God tells them up front, do not whore yourself after the other gods. Do not worship gods the way you worship me. Do not intermarry. Do not do all of these things that are going to mix things up. And then they do it. They get judged. There's people uh, being sent in to oppress them consistently in the book of Judges and throughout the Old Testament. And they're like, God, why are you doing this to us? It's like, I told you. I told you. Did you read, did you read Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all that stuff? And not only did he tell them this is what uh, will happen, he even goes a step further and he says, it's going to happen because you're not going to remain faithful. So he doesn't keep it a secret about what's going to happen. He actually, he tells Habakkuk to write it down on tablets so that the people know and when they, and when they see it, they should run. When God wanted to bring the, the law with Moses from Exodus, he wrote it on tablets. It was supposed to be shared. It was written. It was etched in stone. Right. And now he's telling Habakkuk to do the same thing. He's like, write it on tablets 
He said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So even as the judgment comes, God is saying, if people see it, they can run away. They'll have the chance to run, but they probably just read it and said, oh, God's just saying some stuff again. I mean, their faith wasn't there. And then this coming judgment, Habakkuk, uh, God tells Habakkuk, if it seems like it's being delayed, don't worry, it's going to happen. The day is hastening quickly, and it does. From when we think Habakkuk was written to when Babylon comes and overthrows them, it's about 20 years. But he says, make it plain, this judgment is coming. And then it describes Babylon, and it says his soul is puffed up, and it's not upright in him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So when we're talking about groups of people, and we're talking about how people view time in Haiti to Mexico to Sweden or how we raise kids or how we do all of these different things, right? the people of God, uh, God says here, we live by faith. Like faith is what sustains us and drives us. It is how we view our lives in the scope of the grand scheme of everything. And so we live by faith. This is what marks us as people of God. And so if this is the way that we're supposed to live, then we better understand what faith is. And I talked about this a couple months ago, and the first part's just going to kind of be a, a little bit of a rehashing of this. But think about this. If, if you are righteous and you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not by anything you've done, if you are righteous, then we should know how, we should want to know then how do we live by faith. Imagine somebody comes up to you and they say, I'm going to offer you a million dollars, but you have to do this. This is how you have to live for a week. Whatever it is, you have to live with no electricity. You have to live uh, outside of your house or the most dreaded for some of us, maybe most of us, you have to live without your phone for a week and I'll give you a million dollars. Then wouldn't we try to figure out, okay, what do exactly do I have to do to get that million dollars? He's saying we live by faith. So how do we rightly live by faith? Faith is allegiance. And I'm going to unpack this. Faith is allegiance or believing loyalty to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's allegiance. It is more than just saying words. It is more than just doing the right things. It is more than trying to, to, uh, to live religiously. But it is giving your full allegiance or your believing loyalty to Jesus Christ as Lord. Believing loyalty is a word that Michael Heiser uses. And so if you look that up, you can see what, what is meant by that. But it's more than just the right words, or the right thoughts. But faith involves three things. And we'll unpack each one of these things. Believe, confess, live it out. Believe, confess, and live it out. Those are the three things that faith involves. And for the first part of this message, I'm going to talk about how this pertains to salvation. And then I'm going to talk about how it pertains to those of us who are saved. How do we live by faith in these three ways? Okay. So we believe. Faith believes includes believing true things about God. 
right? You have to have this baseline belief of what is true about God to be saved. Here's what Paul says in Romans 10, 9, and we're going to camp uh, in these couple verses for the next couple slides, but this applies to salvation. If you believe, uh, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So belief drives salvation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something here. Um, I had, when I have these, faith uh, involves three things. I, I, uh, if you guys remember Pastor Tim, uh, when he used to teach here, he used to make everything the same first letter. I had a really good one. I had it. It was the, the three things of faith. It was going to be mind, mouth, and movement. But then, no, not ooh yet, Pam. You jumped the gun. But I read this verse, and something was illuminated to me for the first time. How many times have you read this verse? How many times have I quoted this verse? Does it tell me to believe with my mind? Do you believe in your heart? Right? Because you don't have to have all the facts sorted out to come to salvation. You don't have to have all the right logical, mind-filled answers. It's something in your guts where you just know this is real and this is true and I want Jesus. It's something more than just mere logic. It's something more than the recitation of facts. But it's that guts. It's in there. So so if you've ever been at the place where you're like, I don't know if I'm saved because I don't know enough about Jesus. I don't know enough about the resurrection. I can't tell you all these memories. doesn't matter. Do you believe it in your guts? Is it in your bones? Right, look, if it was simply about having the right facts, look, simply having the right facts about Jesus doesn't make you saved. Demons know the right things about Jesus. The first person to proclaim the truth of who Jesus was after Jesus started his public ministry was a demonized man in the middle of the synagogue who said, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Are you going to see that demon in heaven? No, because he's not saved even though he has the right facts about Jesus. Right? So we have to believe, but it's not this mental belief. Like, yes, we grow in our knowledge of God, that we do love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, strength, and mind. We do those things, but this salvific faith doesn't have to have all the answers. It just has to have that oomph to it. And that's in the Greek, the oomph. (laughs) Right? So you have to believe. And then there's confess. Faith involves a declaration of Jesus as Lord. Same verses, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes, not the mind, with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's the belief and the confession that save you. And I think there's two things happening here with the confess. So um, in the Greek, uh, this is really in the Greek. The Greek, the word confess actually means like a public declaration. It's a public confession. 
And so I think there's a couple things. One, we publicly confess because it's, it's, uh, it's for uh, uh, the body of Christ to know who is a part of the body of Christ. And then so you may ask, well, what about a person who accepts Jesus in their bedroom and doesn't, doesn't do a, a public confession and then they go out and get hit by a bus, right? I mean, that's the kind of way our mind thinks sometimes. Right, so but here's also what I believe's happening. I can probably put some scripture to this, but I'm not going to this morning. But here's what I think is happening. It's, it's a confession in the physical realm, but I also believe it's a confession of the spiritual realm. When you are confessing Jesus is Lord, you are telling every other spiritual being and entity warring against God that you are no longer on their side. You are saying, Jesus is my Lord and Satan is not. Jesus is my Lord and these other pursuits and these other things are not Lord. And so I am staking my flag in right now. I am putting my claim down that I am on the side of Jesus. And this is why baptism is important. Now let me ask you a question, and you know when I ask you questions, I always have ulterior motives, so don't answer before you may be here, but does baptism save you? It's not what Peter says. He's talking about the ark of God, okay, and listen to my whole statements before you, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So we can't say baptism doesn't save us, but how does it? Save us, right? If, if it's by faith alone and Christ alone, how does it save us? Not as a removal from dirt. Only the blood of Jesus removes the dirt from you. Only the blood of Jesus washes you white as snow. Only your, but it's an appeal. It's your confession. It is part of the salvific experience is to be baptized. Right now, so uh, there's another show that I watch, and I, I never actually watched a whole lot of it, but I saw this on a meme, and it was hilarious. So there's... Uh, the, the show Community, uh, and there was a, a girl who found out she was Jewish. Her name was Annie, and she said, um, she's talking to Shirley, who's the Christian on the show, but a bit of a caricature, and she says, when I found out I was Jewish, you invited me a pool party and tried to baptize me, and Shirley said, well, forgive me for trying to sneak you into heaven, right? It doesn't work like that. Like if you just get dunked in some water and are baptized. But in the New Testament, here's what we have to understand. That salvation and baptism are not separate events. It's when the, the jailer in Acts believed, he, he and his whole household were immediately baptized. This, it was baptism is, our conf, is the one way that we confess that we are on the side of Jesus Christ. It's why when somehow when Philip uh, speaks to the eunuch in the book of Acts and he presents the gospel, the eunuch doesn't ask, what must I do to be saved? The eunuch doesn't ask, do I have to say a prayer? The eunuch says what? There's water over there. Why don't I go get baptized right now? So I'm not preaching baptismal regeneration. If you, if you uh, make a confession, like the thief on the cross didn't get baptized, people, uh, just because you're baptized doesn't mean, I'm not preaching that at all. I'm just saying that in the New Testament, these are inextricably linked, and it's because baptism is a point of confession. And you know why we've, 
ooh. You know why we've limited the, the importance of baptism? It's because we've replaced it an act of confession. If baptism is supposed to be an act of confession, we've replaced it. And you know what we've replaced it with? Altar calls. If you want to be saved, if you want, and, and look, I'm not 100% against altar calls. You guys know I don't do them as tradition, but if you want to be saved, come up to the front and say the prayer. Man, I don't, I think maybe, I think maybe it should be, if you want to come up, if you want to be saved, come on up and we're going to go baptize you right now. Not because, not because the baptism saves them, but their choice. The, they, are, they, are, uh, they are saved. The dirt has been removed spiritually, and now we're going to do that in a physical representation. I don't know. Just things I think about. We have to believe. We have to confess. And we have to live it out. And again, here I am not saying that if you do enough good things, you're getting to heaven. And I'm not saying that the basis of God's love or his identity for you is on the things that you do. I'm not saying that at all. But here's a question I want you to ask yourself. When someone asked Jesus how to be saved, did he generally tell them to believe certain things or say a prayer? Or did he tell them to do certain things? Read the Gospels. Uh, a scribe comes and he wants to trap him. He starts talking to him. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, and seeking to justify himself, the lawyer asks, well then, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him, well, there was uh, a man, he was beaten, he was robbed, he was left for dead on the side of the road, and a priest walked by him and didn't do anything. A Levite walked by him and didn't do anything. And then a Samaritan walked by him and he picked him up. He cleaned his bruises and his cuts and he nursed him back to health. And he took him to a hotel and he said, put him up for the night and um, here's some money to do that. And if uh, he overspends, if he hits the minibar a little bit too hard, I'll come back and I'll pay you all the extra. And then Jesus asked, who walked away justified? The person who did something. Another rich young ruler comes up, uh, a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and, Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, follow all the commandments. And then he gives them all the, the, the person commandments, not the God commandments. The God commandments are one through four. The person commandments are there. He says, honor your father and mother. Do not steal, do not murder, all these things. And what does the rich young ruler say? I've done all of that from the time I was a child. I've done that. And then Jesus says, okay, well now believe that I'm the Messiah and here's the proof text that I'm the Messiah and say this prayer and you'll have eternal life. No. He says then, you lack one thing still. You haven't done something that will give you eternal life. Go take all your possessions, sell them and give the money to the poor. Zacchaeus is a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree, wanting the Savior to see. And, uh, <laughs> and as Savior passed by, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house for tea. And he goes, 
and, and Zacchaeus is there, and uh, in conviction of being around Jesus, he says, the tax collector says, I'm going to give back all the money I stole from anybody who I defrauded. And after he commits to a course of action, Jesus says, now salvation has come to this house, for surely he is a son of Abraham. And then he tells people, we want to be with you, Jesus. We want to be with you. We want you. We want you as our Messiah. Follow me. Right. And then, so the same way that salvation and confession are linked in Romans, belief and obedience are linked by Jesus in John. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey, it doesn't say whoever does not believe, it says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So obedience follows belief. This is what the book of James is all about. Faith without works is dead. And so if you see this, if you heard what I've just said, that believing and confessing and living it out, is, is the, the nature and the heart of faith, and we are saved by God's grace through our faith, you must understand that the grace and the faith come from God, that the grace and the faith are displayed on the cross when Jesus takes your sins upon him, when he dies with them, when he raises up again and he, he, uh, he conquers death for us so that we may have eternal life and he ascends to the right hand of the Father so that he can give us the Holy Spirit and give us the power and the authority that we need to live lives with Christ. If that's for you, it's for you today. It's not for you tomorrow. It's not for you in a week. The time of salvation is here. And it's now. And so this is, this is the way that, that we come to faith, this belief, this guts, this announcement to our, our people and to the spirits. I am on the Lord's side and I'm living it out. How do we live out now for those of us who believe? How do we live by faith? The same way. It's the same three things. You live by faith right now by believing true things about God, proclaiming the truth with your mouth and living it out. That's how you live by faith. Look, according to what God told Habakkuk, this is how you and I are supposed to live. We're not supposed to live by our own strength, by our own uh, wits, by our own smarts, by our own logic, by, uh, by our own uh, belief systems and structures. We're not supposed to live by any of this. We live by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, right? Because the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that sustains us. The same gospel that brought us to the place of salvation now carries us on until we meet him face to face. So we live by faith and we must believe true things about God and especially how God views you. Right, so I, look, I, you guys know I love deep things of theology. You know, I like to teach deep things. You guys have received deep things. But sometimes the right beliefs about God just have to be, this is what God thinks about you and feels about you. Because right? these are some false beliefs that we can fall into. 
We can fall into uh, the false belief that God is the cause of all the problems in your life. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this to me? And sometimes he's looking down and I think he's saying, well, hold on, hold on. The enemy's really attacking you and really fighting you right now. You need to submit the devil so that he will flee. You need to call upon me and use the name of Jesus. And then sometimes he also looks down and we say, God, you're the source of all my problems. And he says, "Um, no, I'm not. Do you want to know who is? And then he just holds up a mirror. And he's like, it's you. And then we're like, ah, got me there, God. You might believe that Jesus can never love you because of the things that you've done. And that is as far from the truth as you can get. That Jesus loves you exactly how you, who, how you are right now. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to change you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to take these things out of your life. But it means that right now he sees you and he loves you. You might believe God is distant And he does not care about my situation. But uh, the Bible that I read says that he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. If you're going through a rough time, the Bible says that he's near to the brokenhearted. These are all things that that show us that God is near. That he is eminent among us. Well, he gives things to others, but not to me. This person can do this, and this person can do this, and this person knows what their gifting is, and this person gets to teach this and do... Sometimes you just need to step back and you say, okay, God, what have you actually given me? What did you actually give me? I remember when I was growing up, I was probably, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade. And I really thought, I really thought that my, my parents were going to give me a TV for my room and a Sega Genesis. Right? <laughs> Tells you how old it was, right? And I remember that I got the TV. It was like a 13-inch box TV that was like this big, right? And I was so excited. And uh, I think my mom's like, now, do you think you deserve that? Like in a joking way. My mom wasn't over I was like, yes, I totally deserve this. I'm awesome. As I'm opening it, like, yeah. And then I'm opening my other presents expecting the Sega Genesis. And I didn't get the Sega Genesis. I got it the next year, but I didn't get it this year. But this year, I was very frustrated. And I was angry. And I didn't say anything to my parents. They didn't know that. Like, now they're going to know that. But at the time, (laughs) they didn't. My mom's not here right now, so she'll have to hear it on the podcast. But I was like, I was like, ah. And so it, like, diminished my happiness of what I actually had because I thought I deserved something else. That's how we get with God. We, we think we deserve something else. We think we deserve something more. And we don't see what he's actually given us. So we have to believe these true things about God. And getting our beliefs right is key to living by faith. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ and God. We have to set our belief system, our belief structure, our minds, not on the things that we see here on earth, but we set it on Jesus Christ because we are hidden with him in God. 
man, I could do five messages just on that phrase, hidden with Christ in God. We are so inextricably linked to God or to Jesus that God, we're hidden with him. And so when God looks at Jesus, he sees us. And when he looks at us, he sees Jesus like we are hidden with Christ. So we live by believing true things, and right belief shapes the right words. Because you must understand that your words have power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. We have to understand that the things that we say have power. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with who have said something flippantly when they were 13 years old that they're still suffering from, we're still suffering spiritual ramifications from. And so we have to cancel rash oaths. We have to uh, disqualify vows in the spiritual realm before they find freedom because there's power in your words. Because look, God's always listening. Right? More than your Alexa, God's always listening. <laughs> And so when you say things like, God, I don't want that gift. I just don't want that. I want something else. And then three years later, you're asking, God, I want that gift. I want that gift. He's saying, no, you've already said you didn't want it. Now you can repent of it and renounce it and reject all of that stuff. But God's always listening. And, and there's always... Some evil entity listening. It's not the devil because the devil can't be everywhere at once and he's not omniscient and omnipresent. But there's always something listening on the other side too that will take advantage of our words when we're not speaking truth. Because the words that you speak shape who you are and who others are. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to all who hear. So Paul is regulating our speech. He's saying don't speak corrupt things, but only the things that build up. It, what fits the occasion. Don't say, uh, don't, don't be so off topic when you're trying to build people up that they don't understand what you're saying. Know where you are. Read the room. But then he says, this, he says that you are stewards and, and you are givers of God's grace with the words that you speak. That you are, you are a means of grace for other people. That they hear you speak when you are building them up and they are transformed by the grace of God because of the words that you are saying. Your words have power. I, I heard a story uh, this week. Uh, there's a, a young boy in our church. He's four years old. Four years old. And he was at preschool. And one of his friends, kind of across the playground, fell down and started crying and was hurt and injured. And then this little boy ran up to his teacher and said, watch this, and ran to his friend, prayed over his friend, the kid stopped crying and got up on his feet. I've never said watch this to anybody. 
Like, I've prayed for healing for, for a few years now. I've never been like, hey, watch this. We had another young girl in our church, seven years old. That range, I don't know the exact age. Six, seven years old. A, a, a child in her class had, had horrible breakouts of eczema. And she went and she said, she prayed for her and said, God's going to heal you within two weeks. And that little kid, months later, has no eczema on their arm. And I don't know what to do with that because I would never say, I would never teach somebody, tell them they're going to be healed within a specific time frame. Your words, the things that you say, move realities in the spiritual realm. That's the only thing I can come up with. They shape who you are and they give grace. And no, but knowing the right things and saying the right things are good. They're necessary, but it's incomplete if you're not actively living out your beliefs. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only or else you're deceiving yourself. So faith by itself, if it does not have good works, is dead. I think this is what James is getting at. He says you can say the right things, believe the right things, but if you're not living it out, then what you have is actually dead. It's not alive. Look, God has given you righteousness. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you authority, and he's given you power, and it's not just to be set on a shelf. You're supposed to use it. But you are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and with that comes the authority that comes from Jesus and the power used, by, uh, used through you by him. And I want to warn you that if you start actually living by faith, it can get strange, and you can find yourself in strange situations, but know that the power of God shows up. I'm going to bring up my friend Mike, and he's going to tell you a story about a time where the power of God showed up because he lived by faith, he used his words, and God did something that we don't, I think that's good to go. All right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, God, I just let this testimony glorify you. Uh, so in April... I travel for my job, and uh, I put a lot of miles on every day. And I'm always asking God, hey, use me as your vessel uh, where there's an opportunity to open my eyes so I can see um, where you want me to be. And there was this uh, morning in April, we had inventory in Raleigh, and the inventory just went ecstatically well. And all of a sudden, I found myself with a lot of extra time, and so I said, well, I'm going to leave your store. I'm going to head down to the next store. I've got to do a review down there. So I went from Raleigh to Burlington, and uh, on my way to Burlington, uh, there was a 1978 Econoline Ford van on the side of the road, and there was a gentleman standing behind it holding a gas can. And I was in the left lane, and we were in that construction area, and I was going really fast, and I went past him. And the next exit was about four or five miles down the road, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, do you want me to turn around and help this gentleman? And there was silence. And as I continued to progress towards the exit, I asked again, Lord, do you want me to help that gentleman? And as I came upon the exit, it's like he just placed on my heart. He's like, the guy standing behind the van holding a gas can, he probably needs help. 
So I took the exit, I went over to a gas station and grabbed a gas can, because I presumed he was out, and went back. And uh, as I rolled up behind him, he was sitting inside of his van. He got out to meet me behind the van, and I said, uh, hey, are you out of fuel? And he said, well, I just put these two gallons in, but it won't start. And I said, well, it's an older vehicle. Maybe it needs more fuel, so let's put this one gallon in. So we put the gallon in, and he tries starting it, and he can't hear anything because there's so much noise from the interstate system. So I said, let me go up the front. So he's in the front, and he's trying to start it. And I'm listening, and I keep hearing a snapping sound. And I said, uh, pop your hood for me. So he popped his hood. And every time he turned the key, sparks would fly off the, the battery. And I'm like, hmm, I'm not a mechanic, but it doesn't sound like it's a starter problem. So he gets out of the car, and I said, hey, every time you turn the key, sparks are flying off the battery. I said, I don't think you're out of gas. I think it's something mechanical. He goes, would you be willing to try to jump me? Maybe it's a dead battery. And I'm like, gosh, I see a lot of sparks. I don't think it's a dead battery. But So I pull my truck next to his and put my jumper cables on there, and I said, okay, get back in there. He turns the key, sparks again. Now I'm getting kind of concerned. It's going to short circuit the, uh, the truck's um, system. He gets out, and I said, I really don't think it's the battery. I think there's some sort of connection issue here. I said, um, how long have you been on the side of the road? He said, 45 minutes. And I said, uh, did you have an appointment or anything you need to get to? I said, I'd be more than willing to give you a ride uh, to that appointment. And he said, I do, but I've got tools in the back of this van, and they're worth more than this van. And if I leave it here, it's going to get broken into, and I'll, I'll lose everything. I said, okay. And we're both just staring at the engine. As that's, what, that's what guys do. And he's standing on my left-hand side in the interstate. You know, it's just loud. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I see this impression of a podcast that I had listened to several months prior where some people were being chased by gorillas in South America. I'm not talking the animal, but people with guns. And they ran out of fuel, and God ran them for like 100 miles without any fuel in their car. And then the word, ask me, just came upon my head. And I, I looked at him, and I looked back at the engine, and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> so I, I just asked this gentleman, I said, and it's really loud, so I was, I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he said, yes, I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for Jesus. And I was like, whoa. So he's got a testimony. I said, well, then you believe that this, Jesus can heal this vehicle. And he said, yes. I said, well, extend your hands and let's pray over it. So we extended our hands and started praying over it. And it was like, Lord Jesus, you're just awesome, whatever. I know you can do this. And I said, and get, and I didn't even ask his name. I stopped. I said, what's your name? And he said, John. I said, get John off the interstate and to his appointment in the name of Jesus. I said, John, get back up there and give it a shot. And he jumped into the driver's seat and he turned the key and it went and I was in shock he was jumping up and down in the driver's seat I went around the side and his window was down and I'm like John can you believe this and John's like I can't believe it Jesus healed my van and I said this is your testimony John I said you get to tell everybody what he did for you out here on the interstate and I said I'm gonna tell everybody about it and the van took off and as he was taken off I quickly just took a recording of the van leaving just so I'll never, I'll never forget it anyway, but I'll never forget it. But the one thing, you know, Charles prayed for us several months prior to that April. And he said, anybody that just wants boldness to come to the front and I'll pray over you. 
I'm not kidding you. It was from that Sunday after. There was just this uh, where I used to feel like, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed if I go up and pray for this person or whatever. It all went away. And uh, the go do uh, what the Lord wants us to do has just opened up a ton of opportunities. And uh, I challenge you. You'll do it a couple times and you'll feel really uncomfortable, but the more you do it, the more the Lord sheds that from you. And you'll just see him work, and it's absolutely extraordinary. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Right belief, God can heal an engine. Says the right words, hey, do you believe God can do this? Let's pray over it, and then actually does it. It's just an example of living by faith. This is the kind of things that we're called to. I'm not saying go lay your hands on every broke down vehicle on the side of the road, but maybe you do. <laughs> well, actually, what, what was important there is Mike kept asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's part of living by faith. What do you want me to do? Look, living by faith, I've given you the formula, and the formula, it's really simple, but it's not easy. It's like... You can leave here and say, how do I live by faith? Well, I believe the right things, I say the right things, and I live the way that God wants me to live. But actually doing that on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis is difficult. The formula is simple, but it's not easy. It's not hard, but it's difficult. This is how we live. But you have to know that this is accessible for you. Like, this is for you. This is not for just specific people. Like, living by faith, knowing God deeply and intimately, believing in him in your bones, that's for you. Uh, Knowing that your words have power and praying for cars and for healing and for uh, anxieties to leave and uh, and for for cancers to go. All of these ways that we pray, it's for you. It's all accessible for you. And you have to understand that you are not alone in the fight. First of all, God, Jesus never leaves or forsakes. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're never alone in it. Because once you, once you start to walk in this stuff, once you begin to see the power of God, you kind of become like Peter and John a little bit. And you say, why do you look at me? Why do you think that it's by our power or by our, or by our piety that we've done this? It's only by Jesus. So you're not alone in that sense, and you're not alone in the sense that there are other people pursuing this alongside of you. There are other people pursuing this with you. And look, just to to plug the School of Kingdom Ministry, this is what the School of Kingdom Ministry is about. It's it's teaching you the right beliefs. It's practicing it, and then it's living it out. If you're interested in our School of Kingdom Ministry, just stay for this 30 minutes after service, and and we'll talk about it. We'll tell you all about it and, and what's coming up in the next year. You are not alone. And so as we reflect and we think, I didn't have a a reflection, but here's what I want us to do. Uh, Cass, can you do me a favor? Can you bring me one of the sheets out of the, I didn't actually bring one with me. I want you guys to stand 
with me. If you want this before you leave, I have some copies of it on the back wall. It's just a document. It says, believe, confess, and live. And so I'm going to have you repeat things after me. We've done this before. We're going to say true things about ourselves, whether we believe it or not. These are true things about us that the Bible tells us about ourselves. And remember, the Bible is more true than your thoughts, right? God's vision of you and your identity is, is more true than what you think you are and who you think you are. So if you want to say these out loud with me, say, I believe that only what God says about me is true. I align my identity with his words. I bear the image of God. I am God's child. I am a holy one. I am a friend of Jesus. I am an overcomer. I am an ambassador. I'm a partner with God. God's love for me is full. Nothing separates me from his love. I confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over everything, including my life. I belong wholly and fully to the Lord. In the cosmic battle, I am on Jesus' side. He has forgiven my sins, and I will live with him forever. So I live. I live out what I believe and say. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works. I'm obedient to the commands of Jesus in the scripture. And as I live, I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Amen. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, as we proclaim these truths now through song, let them settle into our souls, Father. Let them settle into our inner being. the altar and if you want to do business just between you and God you can come kneel or sit at the altar if you're not able physically to kneel or sit at the altar you can come sit right up here up front and that can be your altar but when you come to the altar nobody will come and lay hands on you nobody will come and pray for you it's a space for you to do your work just between you and God
But if you want somebody to pray for you, if you want somebody to uh, lay hands on you, to, to, to join you in intercession, to join you in prayer, we have our ministry team up here this morning. It's Pam, Michael, and Deborah, and they would love to pray for you. So you have those two options. You have the options as we sing to just sit and reflect, build our lives on Jesus, to, 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 to know that we can and are capable of living by faith. So Father, meet us here as we sing. Prompt us, Lord. Push us. Lead us where you want us to go. Father, pray that right now we would feel and believe in our bones that you are near, that you love us, and that we are your children. God, I pray that this song acts as a confession of, of the Lord and our intentions with Jesus. And God, if you're calling us to step out to pray, if you're calling us to step out, in worship, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Altars open, ministry teams ready.
so that you can use us. Father, I pray that we would realize and recognize the depth of how we are united in with Christ right now, hidden with Christ in God, seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rule, powers, and authorities. Father, let what you believe and know about us, drive us. Let us use our words, Father, to display your power, your goodness. Let us give grace to people who hear us. God, I pray that you would continue to call us to boldness and continue to call us to live it out in ways that make us scared and uncomfortable, but ways that we overcome. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I normally would never kick you off. You have 15 minutes to stay and talk, and then you have 20 minutes to stay and listen to the School of Kingdom ministry, and then you can go. Or if you need to go before the meeting or you're at the last meeting, you can go then. 